So this week I had a, a physical therapy appointment, um, and as often the case, uh, I was asked, so what do you do? And so I, I said, I'm a pastor, uh, to which they replied, well, that was it. They were completely silent. <laughs> but a little bit later, um, he was having me do these stretches uh, for my neck and back, back, also with this, this massaging these muscles that I didn't even know, know that I had uh, uh, to, to loosen up my, my back and my neck. And, um, and, and as he was doing this, I can't even tell you how painful this was. Like these, I mean, it was unbelievably painful. And, and he could tell that it was painful as well because he said to me, yes, this is the most painful part of the entire thing. And then, and then he paused and he, he looked at me and he said, it's sort of like, how would you say, um, a, a religious experience. <laughs> uh, okay, so you mean the excruciating pain part? Is that, is that the religious experience? I mean, perhaps this explains the silence when I told him that I was a pastor. Or, or maybe it was the fact that I felt better after I left. I mean, it was painful in the middle, but I, there was some healing, right? Is that, maybe that's the religious experience. And this is sort of the way we all talk about religion and probably the way that religion is, is experienced is, well, is it bad? I mean, is religion a bad thing or, or is it a good thing? Is religion something that can wound and, and exclude uh, and cause pain? Or, or is religion something that can nourish and refresh and, and heal us? So, w which one is it? We've been traveling through the, the book of Numbers, and we've noticed again and again how, how God's kind, gracious, and, and, um, and true character gets tangled all up with our flawed human assumptions about who, who God is, our, our flawed human assumptions that God is petty and cruel and violent. Uh, and... Um, I mean, in, in one moment, God shows up in, in incredible, powerful ways to rescue and to guide and to, to heal the people. But the next moment, God wants to kill everybody. So is it good or, or is it bad? And as I've been saying over and over again, I believe that the Bible's portrayal of God's violence is entirely, comes from a place of our own pain and our own violence projected onto God. But but I know that untangling God's true character from all of these images is, is unbelievably difficult. Um, and it's especially difficult when we come to the Bible looking for the one right eternal answer. That whatever we find in the Bible, that's the one right eternal answer. Whether it's God is good or, or God is, is bad. But, but perhaps that's part of the problem. And so, so what I want to try to do today is, is to look at, at this story and look at this text from a few different ways, recognizing that, that there's all kinds of ways to approach a text and to, to engage with, with God and with one another as we read the Bible. So uh, let's listen together as we read from Numbers chapter 16, uh, one, just one through three. Now Korah, um, who was the son of Levi, along with a couple of other guys who were descendants of, of Reuben, Reuben was the oldest of the, of the 12 brothers, um, they got together with 250 Israelite men, leaders of the congregation, chosen from the assembly, chosen from the community, 
These were well-known leaders, and they confronted Moses. And they said, you have gone too far. The whole community is holy. Every one of them. And the Lord is in their midst too. Or the Lord is among them too. So why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, so this situation, this conflict that we have here in, in chapter 16 could go in, in different ways depending upon the path that is taken, right? Sort of like a, a choose-your-own-adventure um, experience. So, so where should we go? Where should we go in the midst of this conflict? Is this conflict a protest or is this a rebellion? We can read it in two different ways. This could be a protest against a, a real injustice or this could be a rebellion against, against God. So which way do you want to go? Protest or, or rebellion? If it's rebellion, go to verse 7. If it's protest, go to verse 13. So, who wants to go the, the rebellion route? One person. And who wants to go the protest route? I mean, and who wants to, like, not vote? Because it seems like all of you don't want to participate in this. Okay, so, so we're doing the protest. So, page 4. In verse 13, the, the people uh, say, to, say to Moses, Is it too little? Is it not enough that you have brought us up out of the land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness, that you must also lord it over us. You see, sometimes when we don't feel like we're heard, our last resort is to turn up the volume and maybe keep turning the volume up until somebody starts paying attention. We might say something like, you always do this, or you never do that. You always do this bad thing, always, and forever. Or you never do this good thing. We keep sort of increasing the volume and exaggerating the situation just because we want somebody to listen to us. And so here in this story, they say, you took us out of our life in paradise. Wait, in Egypt? In Egypt, Egypt is the land of milk and honey? Egypt, where you were slaves for 400 years? That was the promised land? Really? Uh, this sounds crazy. This sounds absolutely crazy, right? You want to go back to that? But, but maybe, maybe it's not entirely crazy. Maybe, maybe somebody needs to hear about their pain. Maybe somebody needs to start paying attention. When, when MLK said that, that riot is the cry of the unheard, he obviously wasn't saying that, that riots are a constructive and better way forward. And, and I'm not saying that exaggerating our conflicts with one another in order to be heard is, is necessarily a way to move our relationships forward. But maybe we don't get to exaggerations and maybe we don't get to riots if we're listening and if we're paying attention to the experiences of, of the other person or of the other group or, or whoever it might be. Or 
maybe this exaggeration is just a power play. <laughs> maybe it's just a, a group of people who already have a lot of power trying to get more power. I mean, maybe that's, that's what's happening. So if you, if you want to see who wins, go to verse 15. If you want to discover something new, go to chapter 11. So who wants to see who, who wins? Come on, who wants to see who wins? I mean, seriously, you can be honest. Okay, and who wants to discover something new? Okay, so, who, so we're going to find out who wins. So, so Korah says to Moses, you've gone too far. And Moses replies in, um, I can't remember what verse it is, but Moses replies, no, you've gone too far. You've gone too far. No, you've gone too far. This response in the school of debate or in conflict is the technique known as, I know you are, but what am I? <laughs> you're dumb. No, you are. You're mean. No, you're mean. Right? This is, this is a conversation and conflict that immediately becomes more about winning and losing, right, than whatever issue it is that they're actually trying to talk about, which ironically just proves that both sides are sort of right in, in, in at least the way that they're blaming the other people, at least when it comes to misuse of power. Moses, you are misusing power. No, you are. And then to the detriment of everyone, they proceed to use their power in ways to try to win rather than to discover a new way forward. So Moses sets up a series of tests to prove that God is on his side and that God is most certainly not on their side. There's a test where all the leaders put bowls of incense into the tabernacle to see which one God will consume with fire to determine who wins. But that doesn't really solve anything, even though there is a winner um, the conflict isn't solved, so they have another test, and they take the walking sticks of all of the leaders and put them in the tabernacle to see which stick will bloom and actually produce almonds, which sounds pretty cool. And maybe they, they should sort of just celebrate that. But in both tests, Moses and Aaron win. They're right. There you go. We, we have a winner. And maybe at some level this is good because it seems like Korah and the other rebels have like a nostalgic feeling for life in Egypt and, and perhaps for, for Pharaoh's way of, of using power. But, but winning and being right isn't always the same thing as being healthy. Do, do you know what I mean? I, I asked my wife, as I was working on this, I asked my wife, I was like, can you think of any times when we've had conflict when I was technically right but ultimately wrong because, you know, I was more committed to being right than to the relationship. And she looked at me and she's like, uh, yes. Like, like are you serious? Uh, and now, fortunately, I asked her as she was on her way to something else. So she said, I can't think of something specific right now, but I'm, I'm definitely familiar with the concept. So I, I didn't ask her again. Moses and Aaron are, are right, but ultimately they're wrong. Both sides are wrong, because in being right, they begin to follow Pharaoh's way of power. They begin to, to misuse and abuse their own power. So starting in verse 28, Moses escalates the conflict toward violence. He says about his opponents, if you're right, you'll die by natural causes, but if I'm right, the earth will open up and swallow you alive. This is like heads I win, tails you lose, right? Either way, 
Moses and Aaron's enemies die, right? If you're right, you'll die. If I'm right, you'll die. Only after you're dead will I admit that I'm wrong, essentially, is what Moses is saying, right? So from here, the earth does break open and it swallows people and then divine fire consumes other people and then a plague breaks out and, and kills thousands of people. Violence leads to violence leads to violence and more violence. And there are clear hints in this story that Moses is changing, that Moses is beginning to lead in a very different way and, and not in a, in a good way because it won't end well for anyone, including for Moses. He wins for now, but the people are, are once again traumatized, and they're afraid to come close to God in the tabernacle. They're afraid of God once again. These people have a profound religious experience, but it's one of excruciating pain. So if you want a different ending, uh, start over. So I, I went to a physical therapy appointment uh, last week, and, uh, and he asked me if I, what I do for a living, and I told him that I was a pastor, and he was completely silent, and then we had this moment of, of excruciating pain, and he said it was a religious experience, uh, and, um, and, and then I wondered, is, is pain a religious experience, or... Or, or is healing a religious experience? And then we come to this text again, and, we, and the last time we chose protest, but this time we're going to choose rebellion. So it's, it's a power grab. Korah and all of these leaders, they already have power, and now they want more. And so Moses says to them, they had said to Moses previously, is it not enough that you've taken us out of Egypt? And now Moses says again, is it not enough for you? I know you are, but what am I? Is it not enough for you that God has separated you from the community to allow you to approach God where other people can't do that in the tabernacle and, to, and for you to stand in front of the community and serve them in a, in a role of privilege and leadership? He has allowed you to approach him and now you want the priesthood too? Now you want even more power? Again, this conflict quickly becomes about power and control. Both sides have power, and privilege. So how, how will they use it? How will they use their influence to, to, to help form this new community of people? Will they use it to wound and exclude, or will, will they use it to, to include and to heal? I mean, this is a really important conversation, isn't it? A conversation about power and control in relationships or in the world as a whole. For, for as much as we like to avoid conflict, Conflict is actually an opportunity for us to deal with really important issues. They've just come from 400 years in Egypt where the power of Pharaoh has been used to enslave. They have this opportunity to be different. They have this opportunity to be better. But if they're not paying attention both sides can easily fall back into the familiarity of Pharaoh's way of power. And so if you want to see who wins, go to page seven. And if you want to discover a new way, go to, go to chapter three. So we've already seen who wins, so now we're going to try to discover something new. Page six. Numbers chapter 11. Moses hears the cry of the people. He sees 
their pain, and he challenges God to be better, for God to lead and to provide for the people. And when this happens, when God hears the pain of his people, and he tells God to be better, God takes the power that Moses had, and he divides it into shared leadership and and shared responsibility among 70 leaders. But of course, shared leadership obviously comes with its own amount of conflict. And so so Joshua, one of the leaders, complains to Moses about this, and and he he complains about, about two other leaders who he says aren't following the rules, and yet God's Spirit is still on them. And and in this particular moment in in chapter 11, Moses responds very differently than he does in chapter 16. Moses says, are you jealous for me? Like, is this really about me and, and, and my power? And then he says, if only the Lord's people were prophets. If only all of the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them too. And then this statement inspires the prophet Joel who has this vision of God's spirit being poured out on all people, not just on God's people, but all people, so that your sons and your daughters and your children will prophesy, and that that the young and the old will dream dreams and have visions. And it's this vision that inspires Pentecost, where God's spirit is poured out on people from all over the world, from different cultures and different languages and different families. And it's this same spirit who says to Peter in Acts chapter 11, go without discriminating between us and them. Go without assuming that God is only on your side. Go knowing that God is in the midst of them too, that God is with them too. I mean, it it sounds a little bit like what Korah says at the beginning of chapter, chapter 16. All the people are holy, all of them, and, and God is with them too. God is, God is in their midst. It's, it's amazing, I mean, because maybe Korah and Moses have more in common than they realized. Maybe the conflict didn't need to go the way that it went. Maybe their religious experience could have been so much different, so much more different. I mean, there are all kinds of things that are out of our control in the world, right? I mean, all kinds of things that are out of our control. But there are still often choices for us to make. Day in and day out, we, we make choices. Choices that can wound or, or choices that can heal. Choices that exclude others or choices that include and, and welcome others. And, and sometimes, or very often, by the grace of God, even, even when we get those choices wrong, there are, are many times ways back to some sort of a, of a new beginning, some, sort, some type of a place where we can start the story all over again and, and, and begin somehow in a new way. This is what grace is, is that it, it allows for, for a relationship to move forward even when things have gone wrong. It's, it allows a community and a society to move forward even when things have gone wrong. There's, there's a fresh start and, and, and the possibility for a new beginning. Please join me as we pray. 
God, in the, in the adventure of life, thank you for walking with us in the ups and the downs, in the midst of, of pain and struggle, and also through the seasons of joy and celebration. We pray that you would remind us again and again of your closeness and that you would point us again and again to your way of love in the world, especially as we consider the way we use our power and our influence in relationships and in the community all around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.